Well, good morning. Oh, it's been a long day already, but hopefully you've enjoyed our time together. We've been singing about this unbelievable love of God. And so if I were to ask you, like when you think of the word love, what comes to mind? There's a good chance that maybe it's a a person, maybe even the person sitting next to you or or maybe a person that's not sitting next to you. But but when you think of love, I'm sure in a room like this, there is a wide array of things that we begin to think about. Yes, maybe it's an object, a, a car, a home, a child. I guess they're not really an object, but. The point is, we begin to think about all different kinds of things. And in a room this size, I would imagine that if I were to ask you to give me your definition of love, I think it would be safe to say that the vast majority of us might have a different definition of what love is. And I want to give you my definition of love, but before I put it on the screen, I want you to hear it. And so, again, this is my definition, not necessarily your definition, but hopefully you'll get it. Love. You guys ready? If you have a pen, you might want to jot this down. It's great. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything. I'm giving it to you. Love. It equals two vowels, two consonants, and two fools. Did you catch that? Here, I'll put it on the screen in case you didn't catch it. Love, it equals two vowels, O and E. Two consonants, L and V. Two fools, you and me. It's love. Thank thank you, Dakota, for that one single clap. I guess I thought that definition was better than you thought of that definition. My point is this. Love is crazy, isn't it? I mean, think about it. It is insane. It it causes emotions and feelings and actions. And if we were to be honest this morning, love makes us do some crazy things, doesn't it? Like, have you ever done anything for the sake of love that is like crazy? Thank you. Thank you. You, Do you... Kids are dismissed. That's a great way to... I think they already left. However, have you done anything that's crazy for love? Uh, As you think about your life and you think about like what you have done, maybe you don't have a crazy story, but I do. It's a story that I've shared with you and you've heard it before, but I'm going to share it again because it will prove my point. Here's my point. Before Elizabeth and I were married, um, before we were engaged, I guess even before she knew that I liked her, whatever the case may be, um, I was up at Liberty, which is in Virginia. It's about 12 and a half hours away from my parents' home, 13 and a half, depending on how fast you're driving. And, and, and I was up at Liberty, my wife down here, Pompano, at her parents' home, living, going to school, and I thought that it would be a great idea to just come down and see Elizabeth. Now, she doesn't really like me. Why? I don't know. But I want to tell you a truth. I loved my wife before she loved me. Don't you find that hard to believe? I do too. But I loved her before she loved me. And so I thought, 
crazy. I'll drive 12 and a half hours down to Pompano Beach, Florida to see here. It's just what's in my mind. So I get in my car and listen, it costs me a lot. I don't think you guys realize it cost me my time, 12 and a half hours by yourself in a car. You can only sing the same song so many times. And then it cost me gas. Now you're like, Luke, gas then? It was 93 cents a gallon when I drove down. I know that because I was driving a 1985 Pontiac Fiero that my dad and I had built and worked on. And it got 50 miles to the gallon. It was awesome. I loved it. I still want that car. My dad doesn't, but I do. But my point is this. It cost me a lot. And here's what happens. I drive all the way down. I pull into her parents' driveway. I get out and I knock on the door. And it, it was my mother, my mother-in-law. Now, at that time, it was Mrs. Purchase. And, and she opens the door. I'll never forget. And I'm like, hey, is Elizabeth here? And, and, and Mary Beth, my mother-in-law, says, Lizzie, as she always says, Lizzie, somebody's here. I can just, I can still hear it. And, and, and so Liz comes to the door. And I guess my expectations were completely, I guess, different than what, Here's what I'm thinking. I'm going to stand there and our eyes are going to slowly meet. (laughs) And we're going to lock in and the the noises around are going to fade out. And there's going to be this embrace, this, oh, it is so good to see you. You know what I got? And I quote, what are you doing here? (laughs) Are you kidding me? I just drove 12 and a half hours. My parents don't even know that I'm down here. It was actually their gas money, but whatever. Just confessing here and now. Here's my point. Love. It makes us do some crazy things, doesn't it? I mean, maybe you don't have a story like that. I, I love that story. I hated it then, but I love it now. But, but here's, what I'm, here's my whole point. Love can make us do some crazy things. And guys, let's be honest. We as men, and understand something, I'm generalizing here, and I don't necessarily mean to, but I'm going to for this situation. Guys, we do a terrible job at demonstrating our love, don't we? I mean, we say, oh, I love you, but it's hard for us to demonstrate our love. We tell our kids, oh, I love you, but but we do a terrible job at demonstrating our love. And and to be honest, we, we really, women, we don't do it every day. You know, the, pretty much we don't do it once a week or once a month. You're lucky if we do it once a year on our anniversary. You're lucky. Because guys, we just do a terrible job at demonstrating our love. And because we do a terrible job, and understand I'm generalizing, not all men. Some guys are sitting there, dude, I demonstrate my love. This guy's, uh, I understand that I'm generalizing, but for the most part, because we as men don't do a great job of demonstrating our love to either our wife or maybe our fiance or girlfriend or, or even who, whoever, because of that, sometimes our wives, our girlfriend, they don't know how to take it when we do demonstrate our love. Do you know what I'm saying? Like we, we decide that we're going to demonstrate it and, and, and we present it and they're like, what? It's like the guy there was a guy that decided, hey, I'm going to demonstrate my love for my wife. Man, I love my wife. And so before he leaves work, takes a shower and shaves. I don't know where he works, but they got a shower and stuff that he can do that. And so he gets all cleaned up, puts on his choice cologne. And man, he's, he's looking good. And, and he gets in his car and he drives. And you know where he goes? He goes to a florist because every guy knows the best way to demonstrate your love is to buy flowers because... 
they last or something. I don't know. And, and, and so he goes and he gets a bouquet of flowers and he, and he shows up at his house and he walks up and he knocks on the door and he's going to demonstrate how much that he loves his wife. He's going to articulate it and verbalize it and then show her the flowers. And he knocks on the door and his wife comes to the door. And she opens the door and she sees him and she goes, oh, no, you have no idea what my day has been like. And he's standing there with his flowers and she just lays into him. I had to take Billy to the hospital. He fell at school and he needed stitches. And we were there for like seven hours for like two stitches. And, and it was just crazy. And then your mom, she called me and said she's coming down to visit for two weeks. Your mom. And then on top of all that, our washing machine broke. And now you stand here drunk on my doorstep. <laughs> we have a hard time demonstrating our love, don't I? Don't we? And sometimes we as women don't know how to take it. Well, let me do this. Let me pray. And we're going to dive into God's word and talk about his unconditional love of Christ. God, I come before you this morning And Lord, I am grateful, first and foremost, for your son, Jesus Christ, who came, who poured it all out on the cross at Calvary for me. Lord, this morning, as we open your word, God, may it truly change and penetrate our lives. Lord, I pray that you might tear down any walls that are up right now. Lord, I pray that you would bind Satan from this place and that you would be lifted high this morning. It's in your precious and holy name that I pray. Amen. If you have a copy of God's word, we're going to be kind of all over the place this morning. Two main places, though. Ephesians chapter three. Bryce Ungebuehler read it this morning. I want to reread it real quickly. But we're going to be in Ephesians chapter three and then also in Romans eight. So you might want to bookmark that as well. But Ephesians chapter three, starting in verse 17 If you don't have a Bible, we'll put it on the screen for you. But this is what it says. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and height. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You know what he's saying? Here's Paul. And Paul is saying this, that God's love is deep. It is huge. And listen, God's love has nothing to do with you and has nothing to do with me. Watch this. People probably love you. People probably love you for the same reasons that they love me. Watch. People probably love you because you're cute. People love me because I'm cute. People probably love you because you're cuddly. People love me because I'm cuddly. At least my wife. People probably love you because you're adorable. People love me because I'm adorable. Now watch. There might be some people who love you because you're wealthy. Okay, that's where the comparisons stop. But nonetheless, maybe people love you because they have to love you because they're family. And so, well, I got to love old Bob over there. He's my family. I got to. But maybe they they love you for that, but not God. You see, God loves you and I 
simply because he wants to love you. Because he chose to love you. Because he's decided to love you. Why? I'll tell you why. You don't have to turn there. But it tells us why God has chosen to love us. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. It'll be on the screen. It says this. He who does not love does not know God. For God is love. God is love. Look at, look at verse 16 of that same chapter. It says, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. You see, you and I, we're pretty familiar with human love, aren't we? Like we get human love. For instance, you remember puppy love, don't you? Like that junior high, high school puppy love. Like, I'll sit next to you in the cafeteria. We're not really old enough to drive, but we'll pretend we're going out. And it's puppy love. Do you guys, am I the only one that did that? <laughs> puppy love. But the, there's not just puppy love. We get that. But there's also grandparent love, isn't there? Like when grandma comes in, hey, Johnny, and pinches the cheeks. And you're like, oh, I love you. You know, again, am I the only one? What is the deal this morning? And so there's there's human love. There is the idea of puppy love and and grandparent love. And and not only that, but then there's also, you know, your first love. You guys remember your first love? Do you? Some of you that might be a little bit further back than others. We're okay with that. But you probably remember for me, kindergarten. Her name? Miranda. Yes. In fact, I don't know why, but my mom, uh, uh, I guess maybe lots of moms do this. I don't know. But my mom, schoolwork from like kindergarten through like forever. And, and like when I got married, she gave it to my wife. And my wife happened to be going through some of my old drawings, some of my old Picassos in kindergarten. And, and apparently... My wife could probably tell you the story better than I, but apparently there's a drawing of a house with a little picket fence and a neighborhood. And then there's two stick figures, right? Me and Miranda. No, but, but on there, I wrote something that said something to the effect of this is the house that I want to live in with you when we get married in kindergarten. She was my first love. You're my love. Anyways, we have those. We get that human love, don't we? We, we understand human love for the, for the most part. There's also the love of the arts. And then some of you, you have a love for chocolate. You realize you said that out loud, right? She was like, oh yeah. A desire, a craving for chocolate. Right now your mouth is salivating and watering. Because why? It's human love. But not just human love. We have like our friends too, right? We love our, we love our friends. We have our fair-weathered friends, don't we? We have our, you know, our long-distance friends. Those that aren't necessarily here, we love them. But we have new friends and, and old friends. Growing up, one of my best friends. In their bathroom, directly across from where you sit, there was a plaque on the wall. And it said this, make new friends, keep the old. One is silver, the other gold. 
And we have, we have our friends. We have former friends and we have, you know, all types of different friends, close friends. But listen, when it comes to human love, human love, even with our friends, with our families, with our neighbors, for the most part, human love is fickle. It is sporadic. It's temporary and it's conditional. You see, one minute we love something. But then it changes. One minute we love a TV show. As long as our favorite person on that TV show doesn't get voted off or cast off or killed off. Because when that happens, I can't watch the show anymore. I don't love it. We're a fickle type people. Well, we love somebody if. For instance, I love you or I'll marry you if you sign this prenuptial agreement. Because I love my money and I love whatever the case. My, my point is, is we're very fickle. We're very like sporadic. And, and we live in a society that, that is constantly in it for ourselves, don't we? It's like, hey, I'll love you as long as I can get something out of me. Because we're selfish people. We're very indulgent people. And so we go, hey, I'll love you as long as it benefits me. But see, Christ's love is selfless. And this morning, I want to talk to you about God's unconditional, consistent, and perfect love. Here's here's the deal. You and I, we can't influence God's love. Because God is love. Jesus didn't go to the cross because of any love that you had for Him. He, He didn't go to the cross because you influenced Him to do so. No, rather... Romans 5, 8 tells us that God demonstrated his love for us. That yet while you and I were sinners, Christ demonstrated his love by pouring it out on the cross of Calvary. That's love. Not fickle, but unconditional. No strings attached. God demonstrated his love. And and what happens is, is a lot of times when we think of love or specifically God's love, we begin to base it upon what we perceive of people. For instance, we'll look at a certain group of people and we'll go, oh, they got money. Their health is pretty good. They got hair. They got a good family. Man, God must really love them. It seems like they got it all together. And that's our concept. And then we'll look at another group of people and we'll go, man, did you see them? Dude, they're not doing too swell. Marriage? Man, it's falling apart. Oh, their their health? Oh, they're always sick. Their kids are out of control. God must not love them. God hasn't really poured out his, his blessing upon them at all. And see, understand something. Your circumstances and my circumstances have nothing to do with God's love. Did you catch that? What you're going through and what I'm going through have no bearing on God's love. God may choose to demonstrate himself through those circumstances and through those situations. But understand, God loves you as much as he could possibly ever love you. It's never going to change. We sang about it. Your love never fails. Ever. And so, some of us, if we were to look for a gauge on how we could gauge God's love, if we could find a a yardstick to measure God's love, listen, 
You don't measure God's love based on your circumstances. You measure God's love by looking at the cross. The cross of Calvary. Lead me to the cross where your love poured out. Bring me to my knees. Lord, I lay me down. Rid me of myself. I belong to you. The greatest act of love which was demonstrated was the Son of God who came, died on a cross, and poured out his love for you and for me on the cross. And so this morning, I want to give you a couple of points, a couple of things. You got space in your bulletin if you would like to write them down. I was talking with my wife about these. I said, Liz, you know, I'm not really saying anything that people don't already know. I'm giving you things you know. But maybe it'll, maybe you just need this reassurance this morning. Or maybe, maybe by chance you've walked in here and you don't know of the unconditional love of Christ. And so I want to give you a couple things here. Here's the number one. Listen, God's love is steadfast. It's steadfast. Do you know what the definition of steadfast is? If you maybe have a little, you know, cell phone or something, you could look up the definition. But I'll tell you instead. Here's the definition of steadfast. It means firm, fixed, settled, and established. In other words, we could read it like this. God's love is steadfast, but God's love is a firm. It is a fixed. It is a settled and established love. It is not something that wavers with the changing of time or circumstance. The old pastor, priest, evangelist, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, told a story of a pastor who went on a walk. And on his walk, he became pretty thirsty and he saw an old farm out in the distance. And so he went over to that farm and the farmer came out and greeted that old preacher and asked him for a drink and he handed him a drink. And as they were talking and discussing, that preacher looked and he could see an old barn. And on top of that barn was a weather vane just spinning and twisting and turning as the wind was blowing. And inscribed on that weather vane were the words, God is love. To which the old preacher said to the farmer, he said, hey, um, I don't really think that's a good portrayal of God's love. Are you saying that God's love is just constantly changing in and out to which the old farmer said, no, 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 you got it all wrong. He said, no matter which way the wind is blowing, God is love. No matter what circumstance you are facing, no matter what hardship you're going through, listen, God's love is steadfast. It is secure. It is the foundation. It is fixed and firm. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3. Do you know what it was said? Again, it'll be on the screen, but it says this. The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying... Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. You see, Jeremiah knew that God was loving him with an everlasting love. And he loves you and I with that same everlasting love. God's love is steadfast. And listen, Paul knew that. Paul knew that. Look at Romans chapter 8. It's where we'll spend the rest of our time. I know I don't have much time. I told you, Coach Cook. I, we're just... Uh. Romans chapter 8. 
Let's look at verse 35. You're like, Luke, you're starting in the middle of the passage. I know. Bear with me. Romans 8.35 says this. Who is, uh, I'm sorry, who shall bring, uh, yeah, 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 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Paul is saying, hey, listen, I get that God's love is steadfast. And he makes this profound, profound statement. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he's going to list some things that he may think or people may think. He, he says this, shall tribulation or distress Or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or pearl, or sword. Paul is saying, hey, listen, there's nothing that can separate us from God's love. But in order for us to understand this, we've got to look at how Paul sets this up. Do you know how he sets it up? Go back to verse 28. We sang it this morning. Romans 8, 28, we sang it. Here's what it says. And we know that all things work together. For the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Listen, for those of you and I who have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God says all things, or Paul says rather, all things work together for the good of of those who love God. That means even in your circumstances, in your trials, God gets to demonstrate his love through them for you and for me. And Paul goes, I get it. God's love is steadfast. Who can separate us from the love of God? And then he gives a series of questions leading up to verse 35. Look at verse 31. Here's where he begins his questions. What, shall, what then shall we say to these things? These things you would have to look back 28 through 30. He's describing those things. And he says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now watch, you've probably asked that question before. But probably in a little bit different manner. The question, not necessarily if God is for us, but maybe in a different way. Maybe like this. With everybody and everything against me, where's God? I don't know if you've ever asked that question, but I have. Man, when I'm facing some tough situations, you're like, what could you have possibly faced? You're 30. Man, I feel like I've gone through some huge things in my life. And there was those times where I'm going, where's God? And Paul is reminding us and he's saying, hey, listen, understand something. When you're in a right relationship with God, pastor touched on it last week. Don't you remember he talked about there is this war that is raging, that is unseen to you and to I, that is battling for your soul and for my soul. And it is just raging. And and Paul is saying, hey, listen, if God's for us, who can be against us? Do you know that Satan has a plan for your life and my life? John 10 tells us that. That the thief comes to what? To rob, kill, and destroy. That's Satan's plan for your life and for my life. And so there's this battle that is raging. And and we go, man, God, with all of this stuff stacked against me, where are you? And God wants to remind you that, listen, your circumstances don't determine God's love for you and for me. There's an... Understanding that we're all going to face opposition. We're going to go through hardships. Here's what, I, here's what I mean. Our bodies go through hardships. You know what I mean? Like disease and sickness. For some of us, we've got hair grown in places we don't want it. And others of us, we don't have any hair grown in places we do want it. But our bodies face opposition. Listen, we face oppositions with 
friends or co-workers, people that don't get along with us or don't side with us. We, we face opposition all the time. And when things don't always go our way, but listen, the question actually really has more of God's love in mind. So the question isn't, well, how can I handle all that life throws at me? But the question is this, can God handle all that life throws at me? Can God handle everything that comes my way? Listen to me, that when you face problems or you face hardships, understand something, it doesn't really phase God. It doesn't. Here's kind of my take on it, and I could be wrong, but just bear with me for two more minutes. I think the problem is, is that a lot of us have a small view of God. And here's what I mean. You see, we, we believe God's love and we go, okay, yeah, God's love is steadfast. I get that. But all of a sudden, when our, our circumstances seem to be turning for the negative and not the positive, and we begin to go, oh my goodness, I'm going through this hard thing. Where in the world is God? It's because our view of God is so small. But see, rather, if our view of God was, was big, like if we could begin to fathom how deep and how wide and how huge God's love for you and for me really is, that he would send his only son to die on a cross, when we would begin to fathom that and really try to wrap our minds around that and our circumstances begin to arise, if our view of God is so big, we go, man, I know God's already conquered death. I don't really have to focus on my problems because my view of God is big. What about you? How big's your view of God? This morning, you see, Paul was trying to give us some things to help us understand. And then the question would go from, well, if not necessarily can God handle my problems, but will God handle my problems? Look at verse 32. Will God handle your problems? Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Listen, God willingly gave up his son for you and for me. And, and here on top of that, Jesus willingly went to the cross for you and for me. That's love. So why would we ever think that if God was willing to do that in the midst of our hardship, now he's just going to walk away? Now he's just going to leave? That he's not going to be there for us? No, listen, God loves you with all that he is. You remember what he said to Joshua? What did he say to him? He said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. That's what he told Joshua. And so, then we would ask the question, well, okay, how could then a loving God love somebody like me? If he sees who I am and what I'm really like, and if he... He sees my work week and my everyday deal and how I live my life. How could then God love me? I want to read you a story. It goes like this. On Saturday, September 18th, 1982, the U.S. government released the results of a sad investigation. The government determined that an army soldier stationed in Korea had been a defector to the communist. This is a true story, by the way. According to the investigation on August 28, 1982, this 20-year-old private willingly crossed the Korean demilitarized zone into North Korea, quote, for motives that are not known. 
His fellow American soldiers pleaded with him to turn back, but he did not respond. The day after the findings were released, the parents of that young man held a press conference on the lawn of their St. Louis home. Wiping tears from his eyes, the father said that they had accepted the fact that their son was indeed a defector. His father quoted, He has lost his credibility in this country, even with me, said the man. But then he showed the heart of a father. Quote, I still love my son, he said, and I want him back. There were many people who said that the soldier did not deserve such love. And that is the love that God has for you and for me. That despite who we are and what we've done, he was willing to send his son to die on the cross and demonstrate that love. And then the final thing. If you were to look at verse 33. He goes on to say, Paul says, who shall then bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. You know, you know what it says in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, right? That Satan, he he's the one accusing up in heaven. You guys realize that like it's almost the picture as if Satan is up in heaven going, hey, God, do you see Luke down there? Do you see what he's been doing? Do you see how he's been living his life? The things that he's been saying? And he calls himself a Christian, a pastor nonetheless. Hey, God, do you see him? It's almost like Satan's up there doing that. And it's as if God would go, I don't I don't really see. I don't see what you're talking about. Satan's like, no, he's right down there. God, he's he's right there. Don't you get it? And God goes, no, you don't understand. Because Luke has accepted my son, Jesus Christ, as his personal Lord and Savior. I don't see Luke anymore. I see the shed blood of my son. That's what I see. Why? Paul said, hey, who can bring a charge against God's elect? Once you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there is nobody else that can sentence you. Do you get that? I mean, that's huge. Because that's the love of Christ. And then he goes a little further. Verse 34. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And then furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God. And who also makes intercession for us. He's saying, hey, not only can they not sentence you. They can't really accuse you. They can't condemn you. Like, they can't do that stuff. Why? We won't turn there. I don't have enough time. But, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. Do you know what it says? That you, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. Made righteous in the sight of God. If you've accepted the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Which leads us right back to verse 35. And Paul goes, what then? Who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or pearl, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're killed all day long. And we're counted as sheep for the slaughter. Paul goes, hey, even if our circumstances change, it doesn't affect God's love. Even if our circumstances go downhill, it doesn't affect God's love. And then if you need it a little bit more, look at verse 37. Yet in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You see, we're able to get through it because of what he did on the cross of Calvary. And then he closes with this huge persuasive thing. And he says, for I am persuaded that neither death 
nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Do you get it? You can't be separated from the love of God. I'm going to close with this. I'm sorry I went long. I got like 30 more notes. I don't know how you do it. I don't. Next week. (laughs) No. Listen. Maybe you're here this morning and you go, you know what? Maybe I've been hiding in my shame like Adam and Eve did in the garden. Or, or, or maybe, maybe you, you deserted Jesus like his disciples did when they came to arrest him. Or, or maybe you've been living your life kind of like Peter and who denied him when asked about his relationship with Jesus. Or maybe, maybe you've been living a little bit more like Thomas who doubted Jesus. No matter how you've been living, God still loves you. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never heard of what Jesus did for you. The Bible tells us that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that you and I, we are sinners in a sin-filled world. And he says because of that sin, there's a price that needs to be paid. The Bible says in Romans 6, for the wages of sin is death. There's a consequence. I tell our youth all the time, you know what the consequence for touching a hot stove is? You get burnt. The consequence for your sin and my sin is death. But it doesn't stop there. There's a little comma with a conjunction. The word is but. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. And so maybe you're here this morning and that's the first time you've ever heard of the love of Jesus Christ. I want you to know that right where you sit, Today, you could accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It doesn't take a prayer. It doesn't take you necessarily walking an aisle. But it takes you understanding who you are in light of who God is. And once you understand that, you'll begin to grasp how deep and how wide is the love of Christ. Amen? God, I come before you and I love you. Lord, I stand before you in awe of who you are. You're a holy God. Thank you for your love that has been poured out on the cross. God, may we rest in you. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Hey, I want to encourage you that there is a spaghetti luncheon immediately following this. We'd love for you to come. It is free. Donations are accepted. Thank you so much for being here. You are dismissed. Sorry.